Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Lorimer, today joined by Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you doing? I'm good, Nick, and yourself? I'm pretty good. I'm also joined today by Sara Gon. Sara, how are you? I'm well. I'm just, uh, may anticipate a few electrical snafus, so bear with me if I have to go in and out. Indeed. Uh, I remember uh, we've come a long way since the early days of the Daily Friend show when we would have all sorts of weird technical bugs and bad mic quality and all that, but um, I'm sure we shall endure nonetheless. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the absolutely insane story of a guy who seems to have sort of lied his way into the upper echelons of the police. Home affairs messing around people's lives, particularly when it comes to high-spending tourists, and also... Mexico and its battle against drug lords. So the first story uh, it comes from the Daily Maverick. A guy called Ntlantla Cezani has been accused of basically duping South Africa's top security cluster into thinking that he was some sort of United Nations official and that using this uh, sort of false identity, he apparently has no connection whatsoever to the United Nations, uh, he was able to sit in on national joint operation and intelligence structure meetings, particularly around the 2021 local government elections. The national joint operational intelligence structure's job is to ensure that elections are conducted without violence and to quell any protests and things that might get out of control during an election. And apparently he was at the meetings and the briefings from the uh, state security agency and the, and the police on these issues. Um, uh, a source told the Daily Maverick that he was overseeing the state of preparedness of their work for the elections and um, that he was allowed to sit in on these meetings. Uh, he also was apparently with President Ramaphosa at a swearing-in of new police officers and is on video recording, uh, sorry, attending a number of funerals for slain police officers who had been killed in the line of duty. He's even spoken at some SAPS police events and apparently, at, at, in a different guise, has been a youth ambassador for the cops. Uh, he's only, I think, about 24 years old. Um, Terence, <laughs> when you have your top spies all in a room together, you know, and they're supposed to be looking at the, the state of the country, how, does, how do you fail to check that someone actually works for the UN? I mean... This is also, it's like such a sort of odd thing. Why is some random guy from the UN coming to oversee elections in South Africa? It's it's very strange. <laughs> I don't know what to make of this story. Well, I remember that uh, probably the closest any, an unvetted person got to Barack Obama was the uh, bogus uh, uh, sign language interpreter at Nelson Mandela's funeral. And I remember that, that that the instant response when that was exposed was, no, 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 well, you can't understand his signing because he was signing in Zulu. And that was just... <laughs> You know, um, it was just the theater of the absurd. Um, I think that this is just, I think, indicative of general breakdown in the state. Uh, yeah, you know, how, how, how exactly do you even get in? You know, do you even get past the secretary? You know, surely you have to have some sort of, uh, some sort of credentials or paperwork or, biometric card or something. Um, but I don't know, did this guy maybe just, you know, go to a post net and have one of those plastic cards made with something that said UN 
And yeah, well, that's that's apparently that's good he did send he did send around a number of letters to the police on a fake UN letterhead. Oh well, you know, as long as it's fake UN letterhead, um, yeah, no, but if 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 you if you're sharing sensitive, uh, well, on 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 what basis does the United Nations get to look at sensitive, you know, security information? You know, maybe if the Secretary General is visiting or something, you know. But, you know, you you might as well ask, you know, why doesn't the Hungarian Secret Service, you know, get to sit in on those meetings? This is this is not this is just not uh, uh, not the way things should happen. But in a in a serious country, unfortunately, I think that the country is, you know, is, is depressingly unserious. Um, so, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, and this sort of this sort of chicanery is not confined to government. Remember, there's those guys who go around claiming to be KFC inspectors, and then sort of you know free lunch every day. So um, I don't know. There's this there's, there's something paradoxical here that we are that, that we live in a country which is so paranoid and so mistrustful. We surveys show you can't trust most people. But somehow you can trust a guy with a bogus letter or someone claiming to be from head office and wants to, you know, wants a, uh, a, wants a five-piece meal to, you know, Streetwise 5. I don't know. I, 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 yeah, I have actually actually have a, a personal story which is fairly similar. Um, and this goes back to the 90s when Mandela was president. Um, my father was a journalist at the time. And I can't remember what he was doing. It was something about the union buildings and he took a wrong turn. He was in the union buildings, took a wrong turn and he almost walked directly into Nelson Dela's office while he was there. He was stopped only by the, the very last secretary <laughs> suggesting that this is not a new problem in the country. If random people can walk into the, almost walk into the president's office. Um, Sarah, you know, the question is raised by this, what precisely does the state security agency do apart from engage in state capture uh, at the behests of, of ANC factions? Because, you know, if, if you have your top spies in a room, presumably they should have the, the, the wisdom to check out and see if anyone is actually not who they claim to be. Well, if, you, if you're not in a, a sort of certified member, and I thought probably certified is the right term, um, of the security services, somebody coming from an outside agency, somewhere between four and five o'clock in the afternoon, they should give his credentials, phone the UN back in New York and say, do you know this guy? And, I mean, you don't even have to, you can even write an email and say, do you know this guy? Um, you know, and that, you know, it's a combination of sort of, I think the cadre deployment mentality where, you really don't want to know this guy other than what he can do for you financially. And it's that's that's seeping through to this to the situation. I mean, on the funny side, you've got to give the man credit. He's rather nice, he's rather easy on the eye, shall we say. And he clearly, judging by the photographs that have been that were in the, would put up on this article, he really wanted to boost his Facebook social media presence. And I think he just wanted to show that he's with Ramaphosa and he's with this general and he's with that colonel and that that was his aim. Um, it's not clear, unless I've missed it, that he actually passed any information on to people. I think it, from his point of view, it was just there to boost his own credentials, which in many ways he did intentionally and unintentionally. Of course, what it says about 
our spy agencies is frightening to say the very it would be frightening if they uh, if perhaps they don't have anything interesting to say which is even more frightening because it means they're not keeping an eye on threats of threats related to terrorism and drug you know drug drug selling and buying activity and exactly this it's, is this is well, the real thing that's it's a certain amount of credit for having exposed and you know exposed <laughs> this rubbish exactly um I think what this really shows is how lucky we are that, for example, there isn't a major terrorist threat against the country. And, you know, there's been some threats from, I think, um, the Islamic State in Mozambique, or what do they call themselves, Islamic State East Africa, something like that, um, uh, against the South African government. And I think we've probably, you know, been lucky so far, because if, as it turns out, if someone really had a sort of thought through and complex plan to mess up South Africa's government or to infiltrate it at the highest levels. Apparently, it's not that difficult. Um, Terence, any final thoughts on this before we move on? No. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's half tragedy and half farce. Yeah, I think that's about right. But, you know, and um, I, I think, I, I think the, maybe, what you can maybe what you can take away from this is that this... In this particular case, it was probably quite benign. More to do with, as you say, the guy wanting to boost his Facebook page than, you know, subvert the state. Yes, indeed. Uh, okay, let's move on to our next story. Speaking of farce, and this is the state of home affairs. So this is a story that just keeps coming back into the news, and it is the incredible difficulties that people are having with the visa system um, in order to come to South Africa. I know that uh, I think last year we talked about how the e-visa system wasn't working properly or most visas that were applied for were expiring, uh, which is, uh, shall we say, not optimal. And now there is a warning from the Department of Home Affairs that uh, people who have come here on a 90-day visa and who have applied for an additional 90 days extension uh, may be forced to leave the country by the end of February if their visa application has not been processed in time. Now, the type of visitors who do this, uh, many of them are, shall we say, from sort of Europe or, or wealthy people from America or China or wherever, who come to South Africa um, to avoid the winter in, in the Northern Hemisphere. And, uh, you know, they often have holiday homes on the coasts or maybe in Cape Town, that kind of thing. And so they're very valuable tourists, the ones who get these sort of 90 days plus 90 days uh, visas and uh, having them declared undesirable and forced to leave the country means firstly they're not going to spend you know the money and time here that they normally would and of course it's also probably going to mean that they might think to themselves well you know i'm super rich maybe i should just buy a holiday house somewhere else maybe australia or something um so that i don't have to deal with south african bureaucracy sara uh the city of cape town uh, uh, criticized the Department of Home Affairs saying that, so that, uh, that the free advertising that Cape Town's gotten recently by being voted in one of the best tourist destinations in the world is being squandered by the Department of Home Affairs' inability to do some of the basics. What do you make of this? Well, you know, one of the uh, independent news channels in Britain has a show on Fridays called Plank of the Week where a, a panel discusses who deserves to get the, be the Plank of the Week and there's some regulars like Prince Harry and uh, um, the Mayor of London. Well, I think the Department of Home Affairs probably would fill that slot a few times. 
We've mentioned on the show before that the home affairs computer system operates 60 times slower than than the average bank. Um, now, why would the Department of Home Affairs, which is has capacity problems in every respect, um, which makes people's lives a complete and utter misery, not just make people give people year-long visas, six-month-long visas, or something meaningful, because having three-monthly visas versus six-monthly visas or 12-monthly visas, I very much doubt has any impact on home affairs, on our, the terrorist threats to our country, etc., etc. Um, do like much of the civilized world does and have, have you get your visas, you know, it's, otherwise it's just an incompetent money-making racket. And I think home affairs motto should be, if you have value or if you're of value, we will stuff you around, close quote. Um, it, it, it's, I mean, home, it's, I have no words for home affairs. Actually, I've had words for home affairs, but, you know, intellectually I have no words for home affairs. So, uh, you know, if you go and you look at a list of countries that can come to South Africa without a visa, it's almost like we've drawn up the sort of opposite list of what you'd need um, for, for, for visa-free travel to South Africa. Uh, you've got countries like um, uh, Angola, uh, Barbados, um, El Salvador, uh, Fiji, uh, Kosovo. These are countries that can come to us visa-free uh, without, without needing a visa. Pakistan, um, uh, Peru. Um, but the only sort of wealthy countries in this list are places like South Korea and Singapore. And that's kind of about it. Um, I guess uh, also Russia as well. So it seems like our visa regime, if we wanted to actually attract tourists, is completely backwards. Why should people from a very wealthy country like the US or the UK or something need to go through this annoying visa process in order to just come here and spend money? Terence, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Well, my understanding was that uh, uh, for for for, for, for short-term vi uh, visits, uh, those countries were were visa-free. I'm not I'm I'm not sure, so so I could be wrong. However, what 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 strikes me here, um, uh, two things. First of all, that um, uh, there's there's a long-standing, I think, almost aversion to allowing people in. That you know somehow people coming in are going to you know exploit our welfare system. You know uh, that uh, they should be they should be controlled and um, uh, you know uh, shouldn't shouldn't overstay their welcomes. Now, you know any country, of course, has the right to uh, has the right, and I would say the duty to to to, to protect its um, its borders and their integrity. But uh, you know we seem to do that just at the points where you know. Uh, uh, yeah, um, uh, where it's where, where it's in a sense least needed. You know, uh, someone someone coming in on um, uh, on an aeroplane is probably coming in, uh, you know, through a uh, uh, through a through a proper um, uh, a proper procedure. Someone walking over um, over over a river in um, in Limpopo is you know doing uh, doing something different. And I, you know, I don't think that we've ever, we've we've been able to grapple to to grapple with either. Um, my own sense is that uh, 
we need to sort of strike a balance between actually keeping some sort of track of people people coming in but making uh, uh but making it relatively simple for the you know uh, uh, for that sort of migration to happen um uh look and it's 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 a it's a complicated and a very sensitive issue you know but the other thing is that i think home affairs manages to fail a lot of people because the sort of foundational document to living in this country is your uh, if you're a south african citizen is 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 your id book now as it happens i've had two encounters with home affairs in the last three weeks to di two different offices both times the system has been offline and nothing could be done um you know and there are you know queues and queues of people many of whom have booked appointments once you booked your appointment, it becomes very difficult to book another appointment because the system, which is not working, will recognize you as having already had your appointment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, um, now that that can be absolutely crippling to people's um, uh, to people's lives in South Africa. In fact, what you know during during the course of my second attempt to 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 interact with Home Affairs, the uh, branch manager came out and announced that there was a problem and then he you know gave this sort of lecture to people yes you know there are all these people coming and saying yes my kids in matric and uh now they need their their id but you know you went on vacation during uh you know during december where you should have come and applied oh, that's all um uh that's all well and good but you know when you are here and as i was during the holidays and uh the system is offline you know that's that's just really not good enough um you know there there, there was a case i think it was, it was in the early 2000s when a um when an off duty soldier literally took people hostage in a um uh, in i think it was the uh, the harrison i think it was then the harrison street home affairs office because he'd been trying you know for years to get hold of an of, of an id book and no one would um uh, and and he just couldn't he couldn't get it so this desperation to which uh you know to which he was driven um you know and i think i think a lot of our um a lot of our systems are premised on the idea that you know we have great systems you have technologically sophisticated systems and you know they'll take out all they'll take out human error but they all built on a very very shaky um a, a very shaky foundation and actually i was musing when the system was offline i wonder if you know the system we had back in the 1990s where they would take your your fingerprint with uh, uh, you know with 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 ink and you fill the form out and you know in longhand, you know if they couldn't have just processed people and then when the system eventually comes back on, you know they couldn't just like you know stick these uh, st stick these into it. So I got yeah. slightly muddled earlier when I was talking about um, the visas. Uh, they they are what you can apply for. There's certain countries like the US which are visa exempt but that still means they have to pay a, a, a fee and also they have this sort of 90-day limit and the 90-day limit is extremely bizarre because you'll have a country um like sort of hungary where you have a visa that's only valid for 30 days but mm. then you know zimbabwe it's valid for 90 days it's just completely uh, as, as sarah said it's just sort of arbitrary it's like why why is our visa system set up like this it seems like you know, someone picked 90 days out at random said, oh, well, three months, you know, that's kind of just going to be the standard. Uh, it's completely illogical and it's just hurting us. Um, and of course, you know, you still do have some wealthy countries like the US who have to pay uh, visa fees uh, to, to, to visit South Africa.
But you know, you know, but you know, how about this? Uh, you know, for for those people who are coming for six month periods or whatever, that's fine. You know, you need some sort of permission, but why not? You know, just have a sort of uh, an online form where you can sort of send in your your proof of funds or whatever and uh, uh, your address, and you know, you get a six month uh, six month temporary residence permit. Or you know, as I think um, uh, I think the US does, you can issue visas for you know that are valid for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. uh, look. I mean, I, I, I actually, can, I can understand why you would want sort of an extended uh, period for, for for Zimbabweans because there's a lot of sort of family um, uh, family exchanges and the people who, you know, for better or worse, legally or illegally, are coming here to work and trade and whatever. Um, and it's maybe a you know a, a, a concession to reality. But yeah, it's 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 absolutely foolish to take you know one of these snowbirds, you know. Uh, who comes, you know, with, with, with pockets brimming over with dollars or euros or yen or whatever, and, you know, finger-wagging that you could be an undesirable immigrant because, you know, you couldn't, you know, extend your visa when the system when the system was down. I can tell you why. Because if you go into home affairs and you try and do something, as I once had to do for my mother-in-law, which I think was passport renewal or something, you, you enter everything in the system and then you get to the um, OTP, which will be sent to you, except there is no OTP. You never get an OT, OTP, blah, blah, blah. So in other words, everything about the system is rubbish and one has to then, the questions then get raised as to who installed the system? Where did the system come from? Who was paid to install the system? Blah, blah, blah. And the worst implications are going to be made certainly by me about the quality of the system. And it's, it's, I think really home affairs is probably just one of the many, but really bizarre, nasty experiences of government service messing around with the lives of South Africans and people who wish to visit South Africa. And the sooner it gets taken over by another government, the better. You know, let, let, let me just 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 make one for one one final comment. I noticed this with some with some irony. The um, uh, part of the livery is this little sort of looks like a handwritten written note in the corner of you know the opening times and the you know alongside the logo. We care. Here's the deal. I don't care whether you care. What I care about is are you a friend? You don't have to care. I don't want to be your friend. I just want. I want my ID. They're lying. They're lying. Yeah. That's fine, you know. I don't want to be your friend. I'm, when, I, you know, I don't want to date you. When you when you've been told for the second time that uh, that the system is down, yeah, you're I'm, faced I, with that sign that says "We Care," it's 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 actually somehow I, worse than if they didn't have "We yeah, Care." No. <laughs> it goes on to the next topic, and that's really that. I'm surprised we haven't gone postal. No, exactly. Um, Okay, so speaking of which, let us go on to our next topic, and this is about the troubles in Mexico. So, you know, Mexico is not a country. I think a lot of people, um, especially outside of, uh, of of the countries just next to it, speak about often. Uh, but as anyone who knows anything about Mexico, it's got very serious problems with law and order, particularly in certain regions of the country, those ones along the border with the United States, where it has major drug cartels but that's not the only place in the country where they have major drug cartels they also have in i think some of the the southern provinces as well and the story is from one of those southern provinces where um in the in the southwestern state of guerrero 
uh, a volunteer police force has popped up in the southern state in Mexico in order to try and kid, uh, counter, firstly, attacks by drug cartels on the villages, but also the spate of kidnappings. People are kidnapped and held for ransom by organized criminals in this part of the country. And things have gotten so bad that the volunteer police force is even recruiting kids as young as 12, both boys and girls, to basically take up arms and join patrols to counter uh, criminal groups. There's also apparently last year a drone attack carried out by a drug cartel um, on, on a village which killed 30 people. Um, so at this point, the distinction between an organized crime group and like a sort of secessionist revolutionary militant group that, you know, I think has become very blurry. Um, people interviewed for this, uh, the, the kids are armed with a mixture of rifles and sticks have their faces covered. Um, one of the teenagers told a television station that interviewed him, we cannot study because of lawlessness. Um, and uh, he went on to say, we're not allowing them to kidnap us anymore or for people to keep disappearing. So there's certainly some lessons I think we can draw from this. Um, Terence, you had some thoughts on this issue. Yeah, look, I think this is, this is the inevitable... Uh, nature of wars a vacuum uh people i think you know are naturally drawn towards some form of order uh where the state cannot provide it into that vacuum will come whatever uh, uh whatever can that's vigilantism now you know i i i have um a lot of sympathy for uh, for a community faced with 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 something like that. Those 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 narco cartels are effectively states, um, you know, uh, and they're not just a just a Latin American affair. A place like uh, Guinea Bissau is effectively is effectively run like that. Um, the penetration of our state by by organized crime is a um, is, is is a real problem, but yeah, you know. Um, so, what else? What what else do you do? And the problem, of course, comes in that uh, where limited training exists, or where um, uh, where this is premised on um, uh, on often a very emotive and visceral uh, reaction you know lot, lots and lots of things can go wrong now on this show a couple of years ago we uh, discussed a story where the ANC Youth League wanted to um, arm its cadres with uh, shambucks to defend schools and I thought well what can what can possibly go wrong here um, and uh, yeah you've got you've got uh, uh and Sufi wanting to uh, you know issue guns to his crime war you know, uh, uh, placing a placing a lethal weapon in, in in anyone's hand is a is an awesome responsibility. You know, I'm someone who believes in the right of private you know private citizens to to to, to have firearms. When you place that in someone's hand, um, you know, in order to uh, you know perform some sort of public function to protect someone else, that is an exponentially greater uh, uh, greater responsibility. And um, yeah, you know, I mean, I would. I would say just off, off, off the top of my head that one of the that, that, that one of the risks here is that you are arming you know teenagers to take on you know what may effectively be be trained soldiers. Uh, the consequence of that can be 
devastating. But if the but if the uh, the state and its agencies won't step up, what is the useful alternative? So, I mean, militias are a very serious problem, and once they sort of form, they're very difficult to get rid of. Um, they're very unpleasant. So, uh, you know, you'll have a country like Iraq, which has, of course, been plagued with all sorts of political chaos for the last couple of, of years. Um, and it it does actually sort of have kind of free elections. Um, it does have changes in the parliament. The, you know, elections do matter there. But they are severely hampered in political freedom because almost every single political party in the country has a militia. And so at some point, you know, even if you have a vote or something, there's a limit to how much anyone can change because uh, uh, things can very quickly dissolve into civil war violence. Um, if, if, if anyone sort of uh, rocks the boat too much or tries to reform things or, or get rid of warlords or that kind of thing, uh, which is, of course, a very terrifying place to be. And so I must say I'm... I, I agree with Terence completely that you know when you're giving people weapons, it needs to be a very um, considered process, which is why I'm not such a huge fan of Panyasala Sufi's one because I don't trust that the crime wardens initiative has been uh, is, 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 has been thorough enough to to train people. Um, but Sora, what, what do you make of this issue? The tra the, the, the tragedy's been clearly described, but you're, but you're looking at usually poor communities who are caught between one cartel and another. Um, so the, the, their choices in the matter are, are not, they do not have, often do not have choices. You do, you work for one or other of the cartels and that's why they end up getting killed as a, a presumably to send messages. I mean, these, these cartel killings are brutal in the extreme and numerous. Um, so they, they've they've been a tragedy for years, and they, let them be a lesson to South Africa for what happens when, you know, state obligation to protect citizens becomes gets into the hands of uh, construction mafias and all sorts of people. I mean, I think this week it was revealed that the people who were um, rendered homeless by virtue of that Marshalltown fire. Uh, are in temporary accommodation close to a Denver, a Denver hostel where the Indunas have been coming around for, for protection money. So, you know, I think the only thing I can say on the light note regarding Mexico is maybe there is hope because one of the po potential, apparently really potential presidential candidates for the next election is a middle-aged Jewish woman. And that might prove you know, even too much for the cartels to resist. You know, you do not want to take on will, a, a determined like a battle axe. Jewish mother. Need us <laughs> say more? You know, just uh, you know, on a on a on, on a somewhat on a somewhat serious note, um, the you know, South Africa has this long bloody history, um, particularly in KwaZulu Natal. Uh, you know, there's a virtual civil war there in the early nineties. And there's been there, there's been some interesting research about about the origins and the and the progression. There was a there was an academic article about the area around Mumbulu, and they what 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 is shown there is the way that you had pre-existing sort of friction between clans that kind of morphed into in, in, into politics, then into factional uh, uh, politics, things like uh, a feuding over taxi routes. All of that becomes uh, uh, becomes um, all sort of bleeds in. Uh, people may, you know, 
in, in one generation may not quite remember what started it, but you know each each wave of this you know successively you know propels the next one, um, and you know it, you you just you develop a culture in which you know people um, uh, people regard this as the way to solve their problems, and you know unless and and unless there's a way to kind of to kind of you know I hate to use this but break the cycle. Um, you know, more, more and more people will will um, uh, uh, will be killed. There's a very, um, it, it's kind of interesting. You know, if you look at sort of any of these long-running conflicts that often involve very high levels of, of violence against innocents, um, I was actually reading about Nigeria today, and there's been a lot of conflict that's being framed in different ways by different people. Sometimes it's being framed as intertribal conflict. Sometimes it's being inflamed, uh, framed as interreligious conflict between Muslims and Christians. Um, but the core of it is actually originally fighting over grazing rights because one of the, the groups is, is mostly cattle herders and the other group are mostly agriculturalists. But very quickly it starts off as like, oh, you know, you can't graze your cows here. And then it turns into we need to get rid of all the people who don't share the same religion with us, um, which is exactly, I think, the sort of these things escalate uh, to, to take on a much more vicious and cruel dimension if you don't nip them in the bud early. Anyway, um, I think that is all the time we have for today. So we hope you found the show interesting. We will, of course, be back next week. And I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Cheers. Mm-hmm.